Thank you, Cinderella, and welcome to the Facts Over Fandom show. I am your host, Brandon Podgorski, and I am so excited to bring you this show. This show is something that I've been wanting to do for quite a while. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the show, tell you a little bit about me, maybe tell you why I think it is that you should listen. You know, sports talk shows are certainly a, a dime a dozen, and, and we need another one like, you know, I need to lose more hair right now, if you're watching on YouTube. Um, but I am excited to welcome you to this show. So I have been a 20-year sport management professional, and I'll get into my background here in just a second. But I wanted to create a podcast that looks at the business side of sport. Certainly, there's no shortage of those who, who cover sports for a living and give you the, the game recaps and, and give you the breakdowns. That's important. Um, you have a lot of people who editorialize on sport and, and give you their takes, and, and they certainly have their place. And, you know, I, I enjoy listening to sports talk radio and, and sports po talk podcast um, as much as anybody else. Um, but I haven't really seen many shows that look at the business side of sport. And sometimes the why is answered when we look at the business side. You know, if you would take sport and there's kind of two buckets of sport, you've got your player development side and everybody who works on that, whether it be coaches, scouts, GM, your front office types. And then you get your business development side. And this is where the majority of the jobs and the majority of people who are in sport, they're on that business side. And, you know, I'm sorry to paraphrase Wu-Tang. Actually, I'm not sorry. But, you know, cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money, right? Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. And I know that looks stupid coming from a guy like me, but it's true. Uh, thinking about sport, that's so true. Many of these teams um, in these sport organizations, they're just like any other business, except that final product that we watch is just cool. Sports are just cool. You know, it's a lot more fun to sell tickets to, you know, a, a sporting event. You think about, you know, the, the Kansas City Chiefs just coming off the Super Bowl. Boy, it's a lot of fun to sell tickets for them, maybe than it is to sell life insurance policies. Now, life insurance is really important, and it's something that I would recommend every, anybody who has a family get. Um, but the, the objective is the same. You know, the owners of the Kansas City Chiefs want to make a profit just like uh, the owners of, uh, let's say, uh, an Allstate insurance who might not be selling something that's that's as sexy, but from a business standpoint, it's very important that both of these organizations make money. So that's what we're going to talk about on this show. We're going to uh, have new episodes. are going to premiere every Friday. You can catch out. You can check out the podcast. Check it out on Spotify. Check it out on Apple. And then I'm also going to um, put this out on YouTube. Um, if you just go to YouTube, look facts over fandom. Um, I believe the handle is F at F O F underscore show. And you can also check us out on Twitter. Check us out on Instagram at F O F underscore show. So whoever out there has taken at facts over fandom, um, listen, I don't have money to pay you to get that back, but, uh, if this blows up one day, I'm coming for you because at FOF underscore show, um, I had to go through a lot of different iterations to try, try to come up with that. So you made things a little bit difficult for me, but I digress. Enough about that. Let's jump into it. So every week we are going to have a topic about sport and sport business. 
that we're going to, that I'm going to dissect and I'm going to kind of give you the backstory and just educate you a little bit on kind of the, the business side of what's going on as we talk about these topics. Now, sometimes it may be topics that, you know, I see kind of going on in, in the culture, in sport. And in this show is kind of looking at the intersection of sport, um, culture, and business. Um, maybe it's just something that I see on, on social media or a, uh, a, a fan account. Um, I'll take down some of those. Or if it's something current going on in sport. So for this first episode, we're going to look at five reasons why sport is important. And I'll get to that in a second. Who's this show for? You know, I think this show is going to be for any sport fan, but specifically, you know, if you're somebody who wants to make a career in sport or have ever thought about a career in sport, you know, I hope this show is for you. So in my full-time job, I'm a professor of sport management, but before I got into the classroom, you know, I had quite a few years of experience working in sport. So I did my undergrad. I live here in Indiana. I did my undergrad at Indiana University down in Bloomington. Um, in my first year there, 1998, I had an intro to sport marketing class and I had a great professor who I really enjoyed. He was one of my favorite professors in my time down there at IU. And, you know, he really, really pressed upon us. If you want to work in sport, you got to do a couple things. One, you got to network. Um, it's not what you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you and who likes you, if, as he was fond of saying. And then number two, you've got to get some experience. So that's what I did when I was in college. I got as much experience as possible with internships and uh, volunteering and, and part-time jobs. So I've worked with minor league uh, minor league organizations in baseball and in soccer. Um, I worked in, in college athletics um, through Indiana University when I was in, in school did a lot of volunteering with kind of um, host committee um, type of organization. So like with the Indiana Sports Corp, the people who bring the Super Bowl and the college football playoff and the Big Ten Championship, all that to central Indiana. So I really got a, an appreciation for everything that goes on in sport. And like I said, you know, only, you know, maybe about 15% of jobs are those who are actually playing the game. The rest of it behind the scenes that you don't even understand or, or don't even know that's going on that's where the bulk of the work lies and, and consists. So that's what I want to talk about and kind of explain the why of things, of why things happen. So a little bit more about me and then let's get into to the actual the meat and potatoes of the show. But I graduated Indiana and now I have this opportunity to uh, run health clubs. It's not what I actually wanted to do. I wanted to be a basketball coach. Now, you know, hey, I, I will freely admit in, in you know, you can, it doesn't take a Google search to, to find this out. I wasn't a great basketball player. You know, even though I was 6'3", you can shoot and play a little bit of defense, play and rebound a little bit. Uh, I was not a really great basketball player. And I certainly had no opportunities to play after high school and, and absolutely was not even going to think about sniffing and playing at IU. But I still love the game. And I had opportunities to coach while I was in high school and coached freshman basketball and, and junior high and, and AAU, but I didn't get an opportunity to make that a career after college. So um, I got into health and fitness and it, it was a blessing. It was an amazing opportunity for me uh, to work in health and fitness and worked in a health club chain here in Indiana and um, had my own gym in Bloomington that I was the owner of and was a general manager of a couple others and we traveled the state. Um, and I did that for a number of years, but I still had the coaching bug. So kind of 
I, I would say part-time. I didn't have any, any free time. Um, but um, in whatever free time or, or other time I could kind of um, conjure, um, I was a part-time uh, basketball coach at a college here in Indiana at a D3. Did that for a couple of years and went to my business partner and said, hey, listen, you know, this is what I want to do for a living. Would you buy me out? And he was amazing. He said, yes. So he buys me out. And then I moved down to Georgia and work at a JUCO down there. I, I uh, run their fitness center. I teach PE classes. I was a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and uh, I, uh, I coached basketball. I, I was one of the basketball coaches down there. Um, did that for about four years. And then I had to make a decision. Was I going to make basketball my life? And um, I didn't know if I could. I, you know, I, I've kind of been somebody who I don't want to say been risk averse, but uh, kind of looking at the big picture in, in my future, you know, to try to make it as a D1 basketball coach, there's no guarantee you're going to get there. And then once you get there, as I started making friends in the profession, I found out, hey, they're only at school for a little bit of time before they're fired or they move on. Um, that wasn't me. That, that's not what I wanted to do. Uh, so I decided not to do that. And I got into athletic administration, was a, uh, an AD at a uh, NAIA school back here in Indiana, did that for a couple of years. Um, and then got into baseball and, and worked in marketing and baseball, uh, specifically selling corporate partnerships. Um, but that's when I got married and, and that's when things changed for me. You know, when I was down in, in Georgia working at the JUCO there and when I came back to Indiana, I was an AD. Um, I taught at both institutions and I got the same thrill of coaching and, and teaching my students that I did actual coaching on the floor. And so after a couple of years of, of working in baseball, and, and, and baseball's tough. It, it's, it's my favorite sport. I love baseball. If you, if you look over my left shoulder here, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I got my Wrigley Field uh, kind of replica stadium right there. And, and over my right shoulder, I've got a map of all the major league stadiums that, that I've visited in my lifetime. I love baseball and am a gigantic Chicago Cubs fan. You know, I only have room for, for one team where I could go crazy about in life. And, and it's the Cubs. Um, you know, I, I like watching pro football. You know, I, I guess I like the Colts, but if they if they lose, it doesn't keep me up at night. Same thing with the NBA. Yeah, I like the Pacers, but if they lose, win, I don't care. Um, you know, I, I like IU because I went there. But again, if they win or lose, it, it's fine. It doesn't wreck my night. The Cubs are the only team that absolutely can drive me, you know, bat blank crazy or just put me on a euphoric high. So that's where I'm at in life right now. So, but baseball's hard. There's a lot of games in baseball, you know, working in, in marketing, you're in eight to five, nine to five, whatever it is. And then the game starts at seven, you know, by 1030, you're just like, Hey, listen, I don't care if we win or lose, just please do not go into extras and don't rain. Right. Those were the only two things you started to worry about, but it gave me an appreciation for everything that went into um, running events and, and running games and creating revenue to actually run the team. So did that for a couple of years. But like I said, I got married in, in the hours and in the nights and the weekends um, and, and certainly coaching basketball, the holidays. Um, it got to be a little bit too much and going into a different part of, of my life and wanting to start a family. Um, so really enjoyed being in the classroom and deciding, you know what, I want to be a college professor. And, and thankfully, I've had that opportunity for the past six years now. Now, what's interesting and, and what's fun is, is I can still volunteer. And now I get to mentor students who are going on 
and working in the profession, mostly on that business side. And that's what I get to research now as well. I have time to actually kind of break things down and look at the finances and, and looking at the, uh, the finance side of sport. So that leads me to what I want to talk about today. And um, there's five things I want to talk about as we talk about why sports are important. Because I think there's this idea of sport from some people that sports are just the opiate of the masses, right? It's just something, hey, let's, let's keep you distracted over on this hand here while the really important stuff, you don't see what's going on, right? And, and I don't believe that's true. Maybe to a certain degree, you know, sports have to have their... Uh, you know, it, well, like with everything in life, you have to prioritize things, right? And so sports have to have their place in life, in, in the hierarchy of your life, just like anything else. And if you let it take over, then yeah, I can see where that opium, the masses um, kind of idea might actually have a little bit of legs. Like for example, you know, I've got a three-year-old son and, and I love it when he sits down and, and watches a ball game with me. But if you're a parent, you know this, hey, he can only keep his attention span for, for maybe five minutes. You know, that might be as much as I can get. I might get an inning out of him if I'm lucky. And then he wants to go and do something else. You know, if I ignore that, if I just let him do his thing or I'm like, you know, hey, I, I really want to watch this Cubs game here, let me put on Paw Patrol on my phone and you just watch your phone. Well, that's that's over the top, right? That's ridiculous. Or, you know, if you're not paying your bills and if you've lost any of your savings, um, you don't want to leave the house because you're addicted to sports gambling, then yeah, obviously there's a problem there. But for the most part, I think sports are healthy. I think sports do so much to unite us. I think sports are a great way to integrate communities. Um, and there's so many great life lessons that we learn from sport. So I hope that sets it up for what we're going to talk about today. And so when people first meet me and they ask, you know, what it is that you do, I say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a professor. And I, oh, that's very impressive. So tell me, Brandon, what do you profess? I'll say, well, I'm a sport management professor. And they just, oh, you know, they go from being, oh, wow, well, you must be a really smart guy and doctor. To, ah, like, what's that? And you just like watch ESPN and talk about last night's game. And I always kind of chuckle to myself. I'm like, well, you realize like worldwide, sports is over a $500 billion business. Right. I mean, just in the United States alone, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm sorry, I got my cliff notes behind, uh, below me. So if I'm looking below, that's what it is. But just in the United States alone, it's worth over 60 billion dollars. And I mean, that was back from 2015. You know, we're probably uh, well over 70 billion at this point. You know, um, in the sport market in North America, you know, it continues to grow at a, at, at a compound rate of about 3%. So, you know, you're thinking about things like media rights, um, tickets, sponsorships, right? Merchandising. So it takes people with an understanding of business, people who can sell, people who can present a product, people who can market to grow this. Right. And, and we're talking about an industry. It's not just you going to a game. 
but it's selling merchandising. It's health and fitness, um, some exercise science, athletic training, all that stuff plays into it. And, and I'm just barely scratching the surface here, right? So it takes good qualified people to run this. So, you know, these sports teams, again, they're businesses and organizations that have to make revenue and have to make a profit just like anything else. And there's special things that happen in sport that might not happen or, or don't happen as much as in other areas. If you think about the marketing of sport, you know, marketing a sports team as opposed to a traditional business is different because sports fans, we're all experts. Just ask us. I can tell you everything that Jed Hoyer's doing wrong with the Cubs and, and how I would get it right and, and, and how he doesn't know what he's doing and so on and so forth. Now, I don't actually believe that's true. I believe he's much smarter and, and can do the job of a, of a GM much, much better than I can, right? But that's how we are as sports fans. We can Monday morning quarterback everything because we're experts. So when you're selling to somebody who's a sport fan, it's a lot more difficult than somebody who might not have knowledge. Like if you're selling cars, somebody might come onto the lot and just know, hey, listen, my family's growing. I need a bigger car, but I don't know what I need. I couldn't tell you a coupe from a sedan, from an SUV, and I don't know all the safety features, and I don't know um, uh, four by four, uh, you know, four wheel drive from a four by four, um, you know, that hacksaw Jim Duggan used to carry. I don't know any of that stuff, right? So I need you to teach me. You know, sports a little bit different. As we think about sports law, you know, in sports law, you're dealing a lot with negligence, tort law, liability, stuff that not every business necessarily has to deal with, right? So there's certain things that happen in sport, and this is why we need good, qualified, educated people to work in this industry, just because there's so much money at play. So let's jump into it. What are the, why are there five reasons? What are the five reasons why sports are important in our culture? And the first one I want to talk about is sports builds connections between people, right? So I'll tell you a funny story. And, and again, this is a little bit anecdotal, um, but I'll tell you a funny story. So my wife and I, we bought a house in 2016. And it's the first house we bought together um, after we were, were married. Um, and, or I, I'm sorry, this is 2017. And we were just kind of thinking about it. Uh, we were in just like the reconnaissance stage and in the fact-finding stage of uh, we just moved to a new town. I, I'd just taken this job at, at, as, as a professor. And we go. We decided we're going to go to an open house, right? And we're, we're just going to look at this one house that, that we think we may like. I, I don't think we were necessarily sold on it but it was time for us to start kind of getting some information and, and let's see what's out there for what we can afford. And the realtor there, young guy, nice guy, you know, certainly um, inexperienced because he had just started. And um, with me being in sales, you know, so selling gym memberships and selling corporate partnerships, I can tell when a salesperson, um, when they're a little inexperienced and, then, and they haven't um, had to do a, a whole lot yet, um, or, or they're they're still kind of learning their way on how to talk and communicate with people, um, but but nice guy. And you know we go through the house and he's talking about the the house and the different features in the neighborhood and so on and so forth. And then um, I think I, I I don't remember how this came up, but it came up in our conversation because um, the Cubs were in the playoffs at that point. They just lost the night before. And I was a little salty about it. And I made a, an offhand comment about it. And he's like, oh, well, I'm a Cub fan too. And so instantly, hey, we're bonded. 
you know, we're brothers and, and we are both really pissed off from what happened last night and the Cubs blowing that game. And I start going off on it and, and he starts talking about it. My wife is in the background and she can see what's about to happen next. And she's like, we're going to buy a house from this guy. We might buy one today. Um, and so I decided, hey, man, I don't care if you're brand new. You're our realtor because you are a company. You are a realtor. So sport had that bond right there. You know, there's we survey kids um, and we've been doing this for the past few decades. And when I say re, we, I'm talking about researchers. And, you know, the number one reason why kids quit sport is because it's not fun anymore. And so when we look at kids, the two reasons, the top two reasons why they play sport is because they want to have fun and they want to be part of a team. Right. So sports builds those connections. And if I could go back to any age, I'd go back to 10, 11, 12 years old, whatever it was, probably 10 years old, playing Little League with my friends. You know, sports is a great way. It's it's a great uniter. And it helps unite us over a cause. You know, whether that cause is winning, whether that cause is overcoming obstacles, you know, sport plays a great way in uniting us. And there's so many great life lessons that go along with that, you know, with, with teamwork and um, sacrifice and um, dedication. And that stuff that sticks with you for the rest of your life. And, and think about, you know, only one to 2% of high school athletes get a scholarship, get an athletic scholarship. And then only about 1% of them are going to go play pro. So the vast majority of people who play sports as kids and, and even have the opportunity to play varsity um, high school sports, they're not going pro. It's not going to happen. So what are we learning from sport that's going to be able to continue um, to carry with us for the rest of our life? So that's one. Number two, you know, a team, it can give a city or a school an identity, right? So, you know, a lot of sports sociologists, they would agree that, you know, one of the biggest reasons why people come become a fan of a particular team or school is just because of the, na- the connection to their community. I mean, think about your favorite team. Um, probably a lot of you got a favorite team because that's where you grew up. I knew I was going to Indiana University when I was seven years old, 1987. We're in my parents in kind of like their basement. Um, They have everybody over because Indiana is playing Syracuse for the NCAA championship in men's basketball, right? With about, I don't know, I think about five seconds left on the clock. Key Smart gets the ball, kind of drives baseline, pull up, 15-footer, bang! Indiana wins, 74-73, beats Syracuse. Everybody in my house is going crazy again, talking about that connection. And I knew at seven years old, I'm like, that's where I'm going to school. I want to be an Indiana Hoosier, right? And it's because it was proximity. You know, my dad was a big Indiana fan growing up in Indianapolis, Indiana University. It's only 60 minutes away, right? So that proximity and him being a fan made me want to go to school. So think about this example, though, right? Hockey in the desert. From a practical standpoint, it makes absolutely no sense. Why in the world would you play hockey in the desert? But we're going to bring the Golden Knights and and we're going to create a team in Las Vegas. So Las Vegas, before the Golden Knights got there, they were one of the nation's largest metropolitan areas without a major professional sports team. Have minor league, but not a major professional sports team. In their first year as an expansion franchise, 
the Golden Knights, they made it to the Stanley Cup final and lost, but that hockey fever there in Las, or in Las Vegas, it really captured that fan base. Right? So in their third season, and this is before the coronavirus, the Golden Knights, they averaged over 18,000 fans per game. Now, the capacity for hockey in T-Mobile Arena was only 17.5. So that meant people were buying tickets just to stand and just to watch the game, right? Um, for the 2020 season, when their goalie, uh, Mark andre Fleury, when he was there, he had the fourth highest selling jersey in the league. So that helped give Los Angeles, or I'm sorry, Las Vegas, come on, Brandon, Las Vegas, a sense of identity as a major uh, sports city. And then we see the Raiders come to Las Vegas. And I don't think we're long till we start seeing uh, baseball, which, uh, you know, there's started to be a little bit of scuttlebutt with the Oakland A's possibly going to, uh, to Las Vegas, uh, possibly a basketball and NBA team. They've already had the uh, all-star game there. And that's taken Las Las Vegas is just a place where you go for for gambling and, it, and maybe some some other unsavory uh, activities. It's taken that and it's reshifted. I mean, just me saying that it's reshifted the culture and how we think about that city, just as Sin City, you know, that I use in uh, air quotes here, to a place where hey, we've got a lot of other things going on. In you know, Las Vegas had a major boom right before the economic collapse in two thousand eight. Um, and now it's a place where if you've got kids and, and you're raising a family, you know, it, we're not just known for, for the strip and, and everything going on with the casinos. Now we got other things that make us a major metropolitan city, right? So then let's go to number three, right? What's the third reason why sports are important? And, you know, whether athletes like it or not, athletes, professional athletes, they're seen as role models. I mean, even college and, and high school athletes, you know, I, I remember as a kid growing up, um, our high school where, where I grew up, I, I remember, you know, a couple players distinctly just because they were at the basketball camps that I went to as a kid. You know, I looked up to those guys um, and certainly pro athletes. You know, I had the posters on my wall. My favorite player growing up was Ryan Sandberg. Um, you know, I, I named my kid Ryan after him, um, which just as a side note, fellas, marry a very cool understanding wife. I mean, the fact that she did that is, it still blows my mind. Um, I way outkicked my coverage. Um, I had the Michael Jordan posters on my wall. You know, athletes are role models. And so if you think back to 1993, and I know some of you watching this aren't old enough to remember, but Charles Barkley, right? He famously said in this Nike commercial back in 93, I am not a role model. And he goes on to say that parents should be role models. And his only job is to wreak havoc on the basketball court. And he could be right. But, you know, the weight of evidence that shows that young folks look to people who they admire um, for clues about life, it's overwhelming. You know, and again, there's research and, and it differs a little bit as we start to break this down by race a little bit. But one thing is that consistent, whether we, you know, race or not, and, and it is a little bit different with sex, with, uh, with boys kind of looking at, at athletes a little bit more as role models than girls. But the one thing that cuts across a lot of that, even as we kind of uh, uh, 
break it down again by race is that athletes are looked at as role models. And so as a result, successful athletes who are put on display by media, they impress young people who might not have those caring, capable parents to kind of coach them and differentiate between the positive and unacceptable traits of famous athletes. So, you know, uh, unfortunately, and we're seeing a lot of these rates rise with kids being born into single um, parent households, you know, sometimes it's hard. And just as a parent myself, you know, I'm thankful, you know, my wife and I, we have time for our son, um, but sometimes we've got to get things done. And and it's easy to put them in front uh, of a TV and say, you know, hey, son, I, I've got to take a shower, uh, you know, watch this show here for, for 30 minutes as I get ready for work. You know, same thing when kids are watching sport, they're looking up to those role models, right? Because that's their view of, of somebody who's been successful and somebody who's made it. And so they may not necessarily have had that coaching or, or that parenting, or, or maybe the parent hasn't had time to really take the time to instill their values on the kids as they would, um, as they would want to. Um, but they're looking at these, at these athletes as people they admire for their physical skill, um, maybe, you know, for their finances as well. And I want to act like that. So whether athletes understand it or not, the role models, right? So unfortunately though, you know, the traditional media and social media, they really like to highlight, and this is where they get the clicks and the views, the eyeballs, right? Athletes behaving badly. And I'm not saying they're wrong for doing that, you know, but at the same time, whatever is out there on TV, in the media, social media, it's glorified, right? So when things like, um, you know, right now, some things in the news right now, um, John Morant, you know, had a gun in an Instagram video. Now, I think you can come down on a couple different sides uh, of that, uh, but this is fresh off the he the heels of him apparently um, brandishing a gun at a 17-year-old um, in a pickup game in a park after they got into it, all right? So you got to have a little bit more wisdom uh, on things like that. And as a parent, you see that you've got to sit down and you've got to explain to your child why that may not necessarily be appropriate. Right. So research shows when children are systematically taught about things in sport like fair play, moral development, we can enhance character through sport. Now, there's this thought that, you know, sport doesn't build character. It reveals it to a certain extent. That's true. Um, but for the most part, you know, character is taught at home. You know, your values, your morals, there's so much more you learn at home and then that manifest in sport, manifest in school. All right, so making our way through. Number four, sport. <clears throat> it affects our cultures, traditions, values. Some of this we've already talked about, but if we go back to our modern Olympics, the first modern Olympics was in 1896. So we're not talking about um, ancient Olympics and ancient Rome, but we're talking about the modern Olympics. And um, in 1896, it was in Athens, Greece, and it's been four years ever since. And the founder of a modern Olympics was a um, guy named Pierre de Coubertin. And he famously came up with the Olympic creed that the important thing in the Olympic Games is not winning, but taking part. And the essential thing in life is not conquering, but fighting well. 
So sport, it can help enhance those social and cultural life by bringing together individuals and communities. You know, it can help to overcome and diffuse um, situations. It can encourage dialogue. Um, it can help break down some of the prejudice, stereotypes, cultural difference, differences, ignorance, intolerance, and discrimination that we can see in life. So if you didn't know this, you're going to find out. Um, soccer, it's the most popular sport in the world. Um, and number two, you may never guess, but the number two most popular sport in the world is actually cricket. All right. But let's stick with soccer, most popular sport in the world. And in the 2003, the Homeless World Cup was created to support and change perceptions and attitudes about the homeless. After the 2007 Cup in Copenhagen, 71% of the players who played in this, and these are homeless people playing um, in the soccer tournament, they came off drugs and alcohol, moved into jobs, homes, they got training, education, and they repaired relationships all while continuing to play soccer. That's amazing. We were able to take sport and take people who were really down and out and hard on their luck, place them into this sporting event, and then within four years, you know, 71% of them are getting out of their situation, right? That is amazing. So I know, you know, and, and again, I'm recording this on a Thursday, March 9th, and it's going to drop tomorrow, March 10th. I know the big hot topic as I go through sports media right now is what did Kendrick Perkins say um, about Jokic, right? And about NBA MVPs and, you know, do white players get more preference than, than black players? And I, and I know that's the hot topic, and I'm not saying it's wrong to discuss that and, and discuss the cultural implications, but there are so many great things happening in the sport that we don't see. And this stuff happens every single day. Um, so sport, it has that ability to affect our cultures, our values, and our traditions in a positive way. Negatively as well. And I'm not saying we shy away from that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But certainly positively, it has that effect. Right. And then the final thing, sport, it offers insight into societal issues. Right. So one of my favorite sports movies, it's Bull Durham. And one of my favorite lines <clears throat> from that movie is Susan Sarandon. And she quotes Walt Whitman. She says, I see great things. Her quoting Walt Whitman. I see great things in baseball. It's our game, the American game. It will repair our losses and be a blessing to us. So while sports has this amazing ability to unite us, you know, it can give players and it can give people a platform to help bring us together. So if you think people like everything from Muhammad Ali's refusal to be drafted into the Vietnam War to Billie Jean King's battle of the sexes, you know, to today's players um, advocating for uh, racial rights, it's sport can has an ability to bring light to societal issues that might have just been laying beneath the uh, culture surface. Now, you have to be a little bit careful when we talk about these cultural things, because obviously, you know, they tend to break down along political lines. And that's not what this show is about. We're going to delve, we'll delve into some of it. And I'm certainly not scared to do that. Um, but I don't want to get so wrapped up in an ideology or in a side that we can't see the other side. I think it's important to look at both things. So whether you think Muhammad Ali was right or wrong for refusing to serve in Vietnam or, you know, Billie Jean King, um, whether you think she was important or not, 
um, in women's sports and, and just being able to shed a light on women's sports. Or if you agree or disagree with the players kneeling um, during the Black Lives Matter, um, excuse me, during the Black Lives Matter um, protest in, in 2020, you can look at both of those, but it gives athletes an opportunity to bring those things to the surface, which might be lying underneath. Now, I think the problem is when we get into some of that, though, is what's the effect on the fans and on the bottom line? Again, we're looking at the business side of sport, right? So as we looked at an ESPN survey in 2020, you know, 51% of fans, they felt that players should share their views during events, while 49% said they should speak out away from the court, right? And talking about NBA players. And so I look at that 49%, and if I'm a team owner or if I'm a commissioner, I want to support my players. But what the input I'm getting from fans is, you know, hey, we're okay with players talking about these issues, but it's taking away from our enjoyment of the game. So what can I do as an owner or as a commissioner to support our players speaking out, but also protecting our brand and also protecting our revenue stream, right? And you could say there's things that are more important than that. And I would certainly agree with you depending on the issue, but at the same time, these are businesses and they have to make a profit, right? And so to kind of continue on, you know, 56% of fans supported players kneeling during the national anthem, while 44% opposed it, all right? Um, overall, though, 71% of fans, they supported players speaking out. So as I look at that and I break that down, again, if I'm a commissioner or an owner, I'm saying, hey, listen, you know, players, it's important that you have a voice, but we need to make sure that we do this in a way where we're not alienating our fans, right? So that's another reason why it's important. I think why sports are important um, to our society and why it's important that we look at it and why we study it. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at on this podcast. So I'm excited to bring this to you. I'm excited to get in these issues. I'm excited to talk about um, the business side of sport. Next week, and I'm going to uh, talk probably a little bit more about this later. Next week, what we are going to do, we are going to break down March Madness, and we are going to break down the bracket using data and using historical data of what's happening according to seeding. I did this last year just on my own, and I actually did really, really well in some bracket challenges. So that's going to be our focus of our uh, episode next week as we look at March Madness and break it down. But the show is not over. I've got a special segment at the end of each show. If you want to work at in sport, I'm going to bring you a hot job, a dream job in sport, and what you need to do to land it. That's next. Okay, welcome to the dream job segment of the show. This is where I look at different job boards, and I want to um, share with you a job that I think would be a dream job for somebody who wants to work in sport. So one of the best job boards that you can get on if you want to work in sport, I think, is Teamwork Online. Now, uh, probably in a future episode, I'll talk a little bit more about what are the things you need to do to land a job in sport. 
I talked about them a little bit earlier in the show. Um, but if you're looking for jobs in sport, Teamwork Online, I think is a great place to start. So right now, I think there's like 5,000 jobs posted. So I didn't go through all 5,000, but I just kind of looked at one that kind of piqued my interest. And we're talking about hockey in the desert. Talked about that just a little bit ago with the Golden Knights. Well, this is a job here with the Arizona Coyotes. And this is their senior coordinator for corporate activation. And so when you're looking at these jobs, you've got the title um, and it might say who you're reporting to in the department. And I want to go through the job summary of what a senior coordinator of corporate activation, what do they do? Um, because you're on the sales side, but you're not actually doing sales. So you are responsible for the fulfillment and implementation of all assigned corporate partnership agreements. In addition, you're responsible for maximizing renewal percentages by providing outstanding customer service to assigned accounts through developing long-term relationships. This is accomplished through interpersonal skills. You gotta be on the phone, emails, in-person visits, and your responsibilities could include, but not limited to, playing a meaningful role in the renewal process of all assigned accounts, training and assisting members of the corporate team, developing increased revenue streams by implementing new and exciting promotional concepts, exceeding those outlined in the existing agreements, um, you would, can also facilitate the sale of new agreements by collaborating on sales proposals and providing research on potential new partners. And I won't go through all the tasks and responsibilities there, right? Um, but what you're doing in this role here as an activation person, so I told you I worked at baseball for a couple of years doing partnership, corporate partnerships. So my job as a salesperson was to go out, um, find corporate partners like a Coca-Cola, set up a meeting with them, pitch them what I think would work for them, hopefully get them to sign the deal, and then we have to fulfill that contract. So I go in to meet with Coke, and they want to um, sponsor our baseball team, and we say, all right, you're going to get an outfield sign. We're going to give you PA reads. You're going to be our exclusive soft drink uh, distributor. Um, and so you know, for all the trash cans and, and the concession stands, we're going to brand, brand with Coke. And you're going to get so many social media, um, social media hits as well on our social media accounts, right? So that's when I negotiated with them. And you're going to pay $50,000 for it, right? They agreed. We signed a deal, right? Well, after that, it has to go to somebody to actually fulfill it. Somebody has to get their artwork. Somebody has to order the outfield sign. Somebody has to get it installed. Somebody has to get their PA read. Somebody has to make sure that all their artwork around the concession stands and on the trash cans gets completed. Somebody has to make sure that all the Coke is delivered to the stadium and they're actually set up. Um, somebody needs to make sure that their social media hits. They get, they're supposed to get 100. All right, did we actually set them up to get 100? And did we get the branding right? And that's what the activation person does. You are an integral member of the sales team but you're not actually out there selling. Now, one thing you could do as a partnership or activation person is help me, the salesperson, come up with the proposal and make it look really cool because what I'm good at as the salesperson is I'm good at identifying potential partners, going out, pitching them, and making that sale. But I might not necessarily be good at graphic design. Um, I might not be good at putting a proposal together that's really captivating. I might not be good with ideas. Right? I may need somebody who's creative like you to put these ideas together and help me pitch it to Coca-Cola or any other company. 
So some of these things that you need to have, what is the required knowledge, skills, abilities? You've got to be able to multitask. So, you know, me as a salesperson, I'm going gung ho. I'm not waiting for you, you know, because my commission's on the line. So I'm going out and I am selling as many of these things as possible and you need to keep up, right? Um, you've got to be able to onboard um, new clients, right? So um, you've got to have excellent written and verbal communication skills. You've got to be able to present. You've got to have good problem-solving skills. Detail-oriented, so, so important because you're going to be working under deadlines and we want to make sure we get it right. You've got to, have, uh, you've got to be a team player. You've got to be positive. You've got to have good organizational, good time management skills, right? You've got to be reliable, diligent, self-motivated, and dedicated. You know, your boss might not be over your shoulder helping you out. Your boss might actually be a VP of sales or a manager of sales and was really kind of concentrated on the revenue, helping the sales team. And they may not be able to give you a lot of, um, a lot of attention. So you've got to be naturally just, man, intrinsically motivated, ready to go, right? You're going to be working a lot of hours. Like I said, you've got your office time and then you're going to be working at the games and you really got to be passionate about giving great service. So for this one here, um, as we're thinking about the Coyotes, you do need to have a bachelor's degree. Many jobs in sport, I'm sorry, unfortunately, you do have to have a bachelor's degree. Not all, but a lot of them. Um, in communication, business, marketing, or related field, um, if you have any marketing advertising experience, it's a plus. If you've worked in sports, certainly in fulfillment, that's a plus. Um, experience working with client accounts and sales is a plus. And two years experience in partnership activation or something similar. And so what I want to tell you if this is something that's like, oh my gosh, that would be a dream. I get to be the one who comes up with these cool, great activation ideas. You know, if you're thinking about College Game Day and the Home Depot is a huge um, sponsor of College Game Day, and you get to be the one who comes up with, you know, the ideas of having people holding up signs in the background with the Home Depot um, logo on the signs or you know, maybe you've got like giant Jenga um, there if, with Home Depot logos. You know, if that really excites you, this would be a job that would be a, a lot of fun. Um, so I want to encourage you, though, if you don't check off every single box and experience, but you've got maybe three out of these four, apply anyway. Apply anyway. Right? It's it's always a no if you never apply. Right. Um and you may bring some things to the table that other candidates might not. So I want to encourage you, apply anyway, go out, get that dream job. Um, and if you do, make sure you let me know because um, we'll give you a shout out here for the Facts Over the Fan, po Facts Over Fan podcast. So I want to thank you for joining us. Our inaugural episode, it is in the books. This was so much fun. I can't wait to talk to you next week about March Madness and breaking down the bracket, hopefully helping you win your pool. Please be sure to check us out. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on YouTube at FOF underscore show. You can check out our website if you just look at the, uh, um, the show description. Our website's there, but the best place to hit us up is at FOF underscore show, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Go out, have a great week. I'll see you next Friday.